Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Morning, everyone. Good to be with you for worship today. Good to be with all of you who are watching online uh, from many different locations. Thanks for being with us here. We're continuing our series, Asking for a Friend, and so far we have examined the following questions. Why does God allow suffering and loss and pain? What does it really mean to have our faith in God? How do we live in purity in an impure culture? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? And what are miracles? And why do we not see them anymore? Or do we? So as you can tell, some simple topics uh, so far. As many of you may have heard, LeBron James became the NBA's all-time leading scorer on Tuesday night. And it was fun to watch him score the 38,388th point. To beat a 39-year-old record that was held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So for today's question, I'm going to preach on this. Does this new record make LeBron James the absolute greatest of all time in the history of the NBA? (laughs) A divided church. This question certainly may divide the generations of this church. Um, No, I'm not gonna preach that sermon. The answer's no. Michael Jordan is the (laughs) all-time greatest player. Now that that's settled, today's question is this. How is the Bible, which is an ancient text, right? Inspired and written a long time ago, how is it to be read Today, How do we take ancient text, ancient scriptures, and apply them to our lives today? Douglas Sweeney says this, the Bible is the written word of God from the eternal word of God and hangs together on the work of the incarnate word of God. So to go off of Sweeney's words here, we see the Bible's ancient, but it's also alive and active today, Hebrews 4.12. Thus, it is ageless. Powerful, it's penetrating, it diagnoses our needs, discloses the condition of our hearts, it demands an obedient response. That, to me, sounds like something that is ancient but also living. Um, Up top here, I need to confess that I love preaching the Bible. Going verse by verse is my sweet spot, but today I'm preaching about the Bible. Most Sundays, I hope that you leave this place feeling like you were given a fish to eat, but today's a little different. My hope is to offer something to you that will teach you how to fish for yourself. I'll do that by suggesting three important steps that make the Bible, make the text come alive for us as we study it. But before I share them, I cannot reiterate enough the importance of inviting the Holy Spirit into that time and that space in which you are reading and studying the scriptures. Don't go into Bible study without the Holy Spirit present and active. 
Um, one thing that I've done in the past is I light a candle. It reminds me as it flickers there with me at the table or in my chair. Oh, I just sounded really old. Man, that's something my dad used to say. When I'm in my chair, um, do something that reminds you. Does anybody else's mind tend to wander when you're studying or maybe when you're praying? No? Let me ask this side of the room. Does anybody else's mind tend to wander when you're studying, when you're praying? Do something to remind yourself that the Holy Spirit is present and let the Holy Spirit guide you as you study the text. In John 16, 13, Jesus told his disciples the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. God gave his word to communicate to us. The Holy Spirit helps us understand what God has given us. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says the Spirit of God comes from God, the Spirit comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us. So after prayerfully inviting the Holy Spirit to be with you as you read, here are three steps that can help you study the text so that the text is coming alive and active in your life today. I first learned these uh, if, if a good read interests you, Michael Gorman wrote a book on biblical exegesis. It's a great book. These three steps I first heard from Gorman. Step one is researching the world behind the text. Researching the world behind the text. This is biblical exegesis, the careful, systematic study of the scripture to discover original and intended meaning. This is historical analysis of social systems, of cultures, and questions that we can ask as we study the world behind the text include who was the author? What was his background? When did he write? What was the nature of his ministry? What relationship did he have with his audience? Why was he writing? Who was his biblical audience? What were their circumstances? How was their relationship with God? How was their relationship with one another? How was their relationship with the author? Are there any other historical, cultural factors that might shed light on this book? These are questions that we can ask, the world behind the text. I'm gonna give you an example from 2 Timothy 4, six through eight. Paul writes this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Kind of a well-known passage in the text. Now look at verse nine, the following verse. Do your best to come to me quickly, he says to Timothy. You read that and you think, well, Timothy needs to pack a bag and you know, go to Paul, right? But then what happens a few verses later in 21? Look at this. Do your best to get here before winter. Now what is Timothy to think here, right? What do we know about these two requests. Paul wants a visit, right? He's saying, Timothy, I need you to come and see me. But what is Timothy to think? You want me to come quickly? You want me to get there before winter? 
We don't fully understand and grasp the depth and emotion of Paul's plea without historical context behind the text. So most scholars believe that Timothy was ministering in Ephesus while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. They are hundreds of miles apart and travel by ship was considered dangerous from mid-September through the end of May and it was completely closed down from early November to March. And Paul and Timothy knew this. You and I don't know this about the text, about the scene in scripture without studying the world behind the text, historical, cultural context. So when we do study that, we feel the gravity of what Paul is saying. He's really saying, put things in order in Ephesus, get on a ship as soon as you can. If you don't leave before winter sets in, shipping lanes are going to shut down and you're not going to arrive in time, Timothy. Do your best to get here quickly. Timothy, you are like a son to me and I love you and I I would like to see you and talk with you before they kill me. They're going to kill me. Hurry. That's the message here. So knowing historical context makes the text come alive for us today with more emotion, more intensity. He was not asking for a holiday visit. He was saying, I want to say goodbye and in person. Now, let me mention this kind of knowledge does take additional research material, right? You can check out a book, you can purchase a commentary, you can do research online. And it's important, it's helpful that we can understand the world behind the text. But I just want to say for those who do not have those resources, for those who cannot afford those resources, the Bible is no less powerful or illuminating. You cannot, you can go learn about historical context, but you cannot add to the Bible. You cannot add to the Bible. I just want to say that because some of the stuff on TV, some of the stuff on the internet, it's garbage. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be with you and give you eyes to see and ears to hear anyone or any ministry that ever adds to the Bible or interprets it in a way that benefits their life or their belief systems. Turn it off. Throw it away. Oh, I got to hurry. Step two, examine the world of the text. So we've been behind now of analyzing the text themselves carefully and slowly reading the text or a selected portion of the text. Is there repetition of words? If so, why? What can we learn from the tone of the author? What is the genre? Moreover, how does it fit into the larger chapter or book? So the example that I would give you uh, that we can quickly see the world of the text, Romans 12.1, you might be familiar with this verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To discover the world of the text, what verse jumps off of this passage for us right now. I'm just going to answer it for you because it'd be awkward if you yelled something different. Therefore, if you see a therefore in scripture, figure out what it's there for. What's the therefore, therefore? This therefore is there because Paul is connecting what he's saying in 12.1 to all of Romans 1 through 11. 
And now he's saying, in view of God's mercy, therefore, this is how you're going to put it into practice. So it's not just this isolated verse. It's a verse that's connected to 11 chapters. And now he's saying, this is how you put it into practice. This is an example of examining the world of the text. And the third out of three steps is discerning the world in front of the text. We've been behind it. We looked in it. Now we're figuring out what is the application. We transition from this foreign and ancient world to our contemporary world. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is obedience. It's not just knowledge, it's action. God's word calling us into action. Listen to this, and it's gonna be on the screens, so don't just listen to it, but read it too. We cannot apply the Bible without knowing what it means, but we can know what it means and not apply it. Can't apply it until we study it, know it, learn more about it, but we can know it and make the choice not to apply it. May that not be your story or mine. Because of God's nature and character, not changing his word remains relevant throughout time. Remember what I said earlier about people preaching inaccurate gospels? Well, if it, if it reeks of relevance, turn it off. God's word is relevant without our help. It's calling us into action today. He does not just want you to grasp his word. He wants you to live it out. As Jesus said in John 14, whoever has my commands, not just possesses them, but keeps them is the one who loves me. By the way, back to my point from earlier, why do we study historical and cultural and literary context? Why do we analyze scripture before we discern the application? So we know what it means. Because if we try to find the application before we study it and know what it means, guess what we do? We twist it. We start to twist and bend scripture to mean whatever we want it to mean. Don't do that. There's some pastoral advice for you. And if you're currently doing it, stop. Study it first. And then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we know its application. That's it. That's my sermon. Those are three points, and I pray they're helpful for you. I hope it's been interesting, and I hope that this content is also helpful. Now I have a treat for you. Jordan Roby is a former student of mine from my years as a college pastor. I met him when he was a college student, and uh, we have many wonderful memories together, one of which we were robbed of our passports and cash in the Philippines. That's a great story for another day. Um, but today, Jordan is not a former student. He's a beloved friend and brother. I love him and I'm so proud of him. He happens to also be one of the assistant directors um, for a drama about the life of Jesus and the calling of his initial disciples. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called The Chosen. Is anybody into this? Um, it's only been streamed, only been streamed a little over 400 million times. And, and, and here's where God connected the dots. This is also, this is where my sermon was going today. And then Jordan comes into Tulsa to see family 
And God gives me this idea of interviewing him today because something like The Chosen requires an immense amount of research behind the text of the text and also in front of the text. Um, And I've learned that even more as he and I have spent some time together this week. Um, I would love it if you would put your hands together and give a nice, warm, redeemer welcome to Jordan Roby. Hey. Hello, everyone. Let's dive right in here because we're going to try to get through seven questions. There's really like 11 in here, but um, to the point that I just made, what, what kind of research has the chosen leaned into to bring ancient scripture to life? Uh, great question. When it comes to any period TV show or film, there's always going to be a significant amount of research. Uh, you could probably do research on research, and eventually you kind of just have to stop and say, okay, we got what we need, let's move forward. One of the reasons I like the photo that they showed, um, it's showing Jonathan who plays Jesus. And in that photo, you're gonna see the research um, when it comes to his costume, you'll see the tassels that are on the bottom of his tunic. Um, but you also see where we're not trying to create a documentary. There's also going to be some creative license as well. He's wearing a, a leather backpack. I don't know. I don't know if Jesus would have wore a leather backpack or not. It looks really cool. And it's one of our most sought after, like kind of memed items that we have is that leather backpack that he wears. Um, it's made by a phenomenal um, artist out of Texas, I believe, that makes those leather backpacks. So they're absolutely beautiful pieces of, of, of work. But you kind of see in that one photo of the kind of the range of research versus kind of creative license. Uh, so we also do a lot of you know, research when it comes to the set. So when the actors go in and out of their homes uh, on the set, the set designer has you know, placed a mezuzah. So they're gonna be touching those as they go in and out of the door, the door seals. Um, they've also done a lot of research when it comes to the casting. We have a lot of actors that have uh, lineage that goes back to that area. Uh, Shahar, who plays Simon, is from Israel. And we have several actors who share the same you know, connection. So there is definitely a lot of research uh, that has gone into it. Uh, Dallas Jenkins, who's the creator, director of the show, he has a panel of spiritual advisors that he leans on to make sure that it's as uh, researched and accurate as possible. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is believability. Um, It's the same for our production designer, our costume designer, et cetera, et cetera. And also for our actors, is it believable? And that's the, that's the main goal. So <clears throat> you've, you've told me your, your Jerusalem scenes are in Utah uh, because it's mountainous. And then Capernaum is south of Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us anything else about how these scenes are built? Because they, they really do successfully transport us back in time. When it comes to the sets, in specific that definitely has a lot to do with the research that James, our production designer has done. The set in Utah was built 10 years ago or so, I believe, totally disconnected from The Chosen that was built uh, by another group of people. Um, 
and they did their own research. So they, they took trips to Jerusalem and uh, made a set that is based on, on the idea of what Jerusalem is. It certainly is nowhere near as big as what Jerusalem is, but once you kind of walk in and around it, I mean, it's a maze going in and out of that set. And it definitely puts you in that time and space. The same with Capernaum. Uh, we designed our, our own version of Capernaum. Uh, we built that in Texas. And I can't tell you how much detail has gone into that set. They, I forget the timeline of how long it took to build Capernaum, but they were, they were still building it while we were shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was kind of a, a small miracle that we were able to shoot season three at all on a timeline because we were, we were basically waiting on that set to be finished uh, for us to keep shooting. Um, so I forget what the original question was, but, but yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't even have to ask any. It's just interesting <laughs> yeah. to hear you talk uh, about things behind the scenes. Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, um, you told me that when fans come and meet him, they act like they're meeting Jesus, not an actor. And they've even Some asked, fans. Most understand that he's, he's portraying, but yes, there has been some cases of that, yeah. 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 Yes. Um, but, but some have even asked him to pray for their healing. I mean, they're really taking seriously this real person of Jesus that he's demonstrating on the film. What would you credit that, that makes scripture just seem so real and alive through this film? What is it like for you directing men and women who are getting into character to play these real historical people, especially getting into character to play the role of the savior of the world. I think it goes back to what you were, what you were preaching in your sermon, which is the power of scripture. You know, the, the source material of the chosen is scripture and it's active, it's present. I'm, I'm thankful that Jonathan is a believer. He's very committed to his faith. And he's very committed to playing the role of Jesus, as is every actor on the show, not just Jonathan. Every, every actor that is in our cast is 100% committed uh, to their role, um, even Luke. And I love Luke, and he plays Judas. So I, my, my plea for the viewers of The Chosen is that love, love the actors for what they do. And, 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 and Luke is, you know, we all know how Judas' story ends. Um, so let's just remember that uh, Luke is not Judas uh, as we keep more <laughs> moving forward uh, in, in the series uh, because he too is giving it his all. Um, he's, he's committed to portraying that character. Um, but I think to best answer the question, it, I think it also has a lot to do with Dallas's faith as well. Dallas, Dallas is very committed to his faith and he has stepped out in faith and has created this show. Um, and, and so I think it, it speaks to the power of God and the power of what scripture can do um, as you're trying to express it in a form like TV and film. Mm. Yeah. So when you all are filming and you're playing the roles of these real historical figures and moments and events that happened, I imagine the Lord is ministering to all of you, cast and crew. Can you share any specific moments that have been impactful for you or others? We've had a few miracles on set. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, we, we've had a few miracles. The fact that the show even exists is a miracle. 
Um, any TV or media project that had that tried to get funding through crowdfunding, um, I think they reached around four or five million. That was kind of the kind of the boundary or the um, cap of what they were able to achieve through crowdfunding. When Dallas recognized that the chosen had to go through a crowdfunding route, it was, I'm sure he knew, and as he was creating the show and the budget for the show, that he knew it would take more than four or five million dollars to create an eight-episode TV show. That's period. Period in general is very complicated, and it tends to cost a lot more because of other resources you have to bring in to make it look accurate. And so for him to recognize that it had to go through a crowdfunding route um, was a huge step of faith. And The Chosen is already a historical show. I love reading reviews about the show because you can tell that the writers don't, don't really know how to react to it because of how historic it is. Uh, when he raised uh, around $10 million for that first season, um, it, was, it, was, it was a complete miracle. And they continue to do that uh, for, for every season. Um, and then we've experienced miracles in the form of even you know last year when we shot, uh, I won't spoil anything just, just in case somebody hasn't seen the show, but we shot a scene based on water uh, last year, when we, and we had to go shoot on a water tank that was in Louisiana. And there's only so many of these tanks that exist in the world for you to be able to shoot a scene like this. And so as we were trying to find a studio that could house this scene that does this um, water kind of experience, uh, we found one in Shreveport, which is pretty close to where we shoot in Dallas, relatively. And they hadn't, hadn't been using that set in years. And they they wanted our show to come and shoot on, on, at their studio. And so they wanted to do everything they could to get the tank back up in working order, which it wasn't. And up until the day we were shooting, we were waiting for the paint to dry on the blue screen. Uh, blue screen just gives you a way to basically replace it with the world that we want to be around the actors. So we wanted there to be a, a sea around the actors instead of the blue wall. So we didn't know if we could shoot this huge finale um, uh, finale dramatic scene, but we got it done. And as the paint was drying, we shot it. We had a similar, there's a, there's a theme around water and weather when it comes to our shoot as well. Uh, season two, and I would encourage anybody on that, that, is, um, that looks at videos on YouTube to look up a video about Dallas talking about a season two moment where we had very, very dense fog to shoot a scene. And it was about an eight page um, scene, which usually takes all day, if not more. And we ended up getting that scene shot in about two to three hours uh, because the, the fog just kind of miraculously cleared uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of the day. We were close to giving up, close to pulling the plug on the day, and the fog clears. And then we sh ended up shooting eight pages in about three hours or so with multiple actors um, mm -hmm. and all of our crew. Mm. Yeah. So... If you go to the Holy Land and you stand in these real places that real events happen, you open your Bible, you just read it differently. How has the chosen impacted your Bible reading? I mean, how has it impacted the way that you read scripture? I think it's impacted it in the best way possible, uh, which is to say my introduction to scripture and the characters that we see in scripture seem to be a little bit 
uh, foreign because it almost was introduced to me in like a Shakespearean kind of a way. Or you see paintings that you may see in museums of Jesus's followers that look nothing like me and they were much older or they had these huge beards, even though my beard, I do have a beard, but it's I'm a saying nice, they it's were- It's a nice one. Yeah, they were, they were much bigger. Um, so I tended to not, I, I thought that that wasn't for me, that living that, that life of one of God's followers wasn't for me because I didn't necessarily relate to how they were. But to come to this day and age where we're doing more research on what it could have been like to see how they've casted Jesus' followers. Um, all, of, all of the cast is around my age, I would say 20s, 30s. And, and, that, and not trying to exclude any age group, I'm just saying that it makes it much more relatable. And it is also offensive in a good way because it, it, it makes me realize that I make a lot of excuses for not wanting to follow God sometimes. And so I realize that, uh, that, that God can use you, that God can use me. And that's, that's what I take away from it. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, two more questions quickly. Um, we wanna know something funny that's happened on the set behind the scenes. We wanna know something that over 400 million people don't know. This is, this is exclusive. This is an exclusive one. Um, in fact, so much so that I didn't even know it was happening and the joke was on me. Uh, one of our production assistants decided to enlist our cast and crew uh, to do a selfie, kind of a secret selfie game. And so they started taking pictures of me throughout the season. And then they made a video at the end of the year when we wrapped and showed it to me. I was just absolutely shocked by it. So this is just one of many. That's, uh, that's my boss, Adam, another Adam. Uh, that's had a big, big impact on my life. Another? Um, another Adam. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we'll call him the second Adam. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's Abe. Uh, he plays Big James on the show. Um, I wish I could play the video because honestly, it's one of the funniest things. At least it was to us as a cast and crew. Uh, the, the, the chat, yeah, there's Jonathan. Um, I tend to be very focused on set. So as you can see, I had no idea none of these were happening. Um, so that was, that's a good example of something funny. That Ooh. happened, at least to us it was. Who's your favorite Adam, though? Ooh, that's a good question. Is this, can we cut the live stream? Can we, can we cut the live stream? No, I'll tell them. <laughs> I'll tell them. Real quick, we have another photo of you on set. Really beautiful scene. Um, it, it's so fun to see you at work. You have a beautiful office, obviously. Mm. We envy that. I'm just curious to close. Um, you give a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy to this. What is your ultimate hope for this series? I think the message of this series, and I think the message even of this, of this particular season that's out right now, uh, season three, the main storyline of, of that, of that uh, season is the five loaves and two fish. And it's about letting God decide what he can use. And that's, that, would be my, that would be my hope, is that it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, you can be from a small town like me and think, I don't know what I can do in this world. I'm from a smaller town or 
Maybe it, maybe it's your age, maybe it's uh, uh, your background. It's, it's about letting God use you. He can use that because somebody out there needs to know that. Somebody out there can connect with, with, what you, with, with who you are in life. And he can use that to show that person love, to show that person compassion and to show them a future. And that's, that's my hope for the church. Thank you, Jordan. This has been very interesting. Uh, I just appreciate it. it. It goes so well with what we talked about today with the, the, the world of the text behind it, of it, and in front of it. Thank you for your work. Thank you for who you are. I love you. I honor you and loved having you here. Yeah. Can we thank Jordan Roby again? <laughs> Quickly, um, Reuben, I love you, and I honor your testimony. And Reuben and I met a few weeks before the earthquake in Haiti in December of 09, and um, you, your life is evidence of a good and loving God, and thank you for using your story to serve the church, to impact others. It took a lot of courage to pray today for people who are living a nightmare that you lived. And I, I honor you, I love you. Church, as you go from this place, may you have eyes to see and ears to hear with the help of the Holy Spirit, the world behind the text, of the text, and in front of it. Go with God's love and peace. Have a great day. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.